Hey, welcome to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com, where we turn thoughtful entrepreneurs into media celebrities, earning them more authority, more influence, and more revenue. See, we believe that every person has a unique message which can positively impact the world. If you are a thoughtful entrepreneur that would like to become a media celebrity and be on our show, please visit UpMyInfluence.com slash podcast. Now, in this podcast, your host, veteran radio personality, Jennifer Longworth, encourages entrepreneurs to share not only their expertise, but their stories and their hearts. You're going to love this show. You're going to hear real stories from real people on The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. So let's go. Great things happen in that uncertainty, in that courage, in that ability to set foot on a path where you can't even see where you're going yet. I'm Jennifer Longworth, and my guest today is Sandra Aliyah. Sandra is one of the world's first certified food addiction counselors, a CTI certified professional coach, a radio show host, and the vice chair of the Canadian Obesity Network Toronto chapter. Sandra has worked alongside medical doctors and addiction doctors to develop a food addiction recovery program that has yielded tremendous success influencing the way obesity is treated. Clients report weight loss, and importantly, the mind chatter with food is gone, and clients are finding peace with food. Sandra is an authentic, open-hearted, real, and raw lady, not to mention she has lost over 100 pounds and has kept it off for 13 years. She shows up and creates a sacred space for great healing and coaching for all her clients. It's amazing not only to witness, but also to participate. Sandra uses her own life experiences to bring the theory and facts to life. Welcome to the show, Sandra. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. So you're a certified food addiction counselor. What does that mean? Well, actually, I'm one of a small handful in the world. It is a program that was developed last year. And if you can believe it, I had to fly to Iceland to do my final exam and get my my certification from the Baltic region because uh, apparently in North America, we don't necessarily believe that food addiction exists, um, sadly. I had to get my certification and my training and do uh, my final exam um, over in the Baltic region. And it saddens me that in North America, we're kind of lagging behind, especially since most of my clients self-identify as a food addict. You know, once I describe what it is, what it's like to live as one, people will come up to me and say, I've known all along, I know in my heart of hearts that I am a food addict, that I treat food, certain foods, especially ultra processed foods, the way that an alcoholic would treat alcohol. And that once I get started on certain foods, I can't stop, I can't control myself. I, I, you know, nothing can be done until it's all gone. Mm-hmm. Similarly to the alcoholic who takes that first drink and then suddenly finds themselves completely drunk. When I eat cookies, I can't leave just one <laughs> in the row yes. or just one in the package. That gives me a complex or something. And I'm like, yeah. what do you mean you're putting back just one cookie? Someone needs to eat that. Does that mean to have a cookie um, or just a OCD or something? Well, actually, <laughs> it's. I'm here to tell you it's not your fault. Those cookies have oh. been chemically engineered so that you cannot just have one. 
So Ah. there was a time when we had bakers and now we have food engineers and the sugar. Yeah. The sugar industry wants to get the greatest share of your wallet. The food industry is incredibly competitive um, Mm -hmm. and they, in their big business, we're talking billions of dollars and they put a lot of science and a lot of research into making their products simply irresistible. So how do they gain a bigger share of your wallet? They make sure that their products are highly addictive. So that once you rip open that box, you're not having one, you're not having two, there's no way you can stop. You've started a chain reaction in your brain. um, And it would it would take a tremendous amount of willpower to stop. And who can have one potato chip? I don't know anyone. Well, that's why their slogan is, but you can't eat just one or whatever it is. They tell you that on the (laughs) bag. Well, I guess they are being honest. I think it's the salt in potato chips too, It's a lot of things. It's the salt. It's also the crunch. Crunch can be highly Mm. addictive. So what the food industry does is it'll take a person, it'll put electrodes on their brain, and they study the crunch, the melt, and they study how the food lights up your reward center. And if they can light it up in an unnatural way, they know they've got you hooked. So it's a lot of things, the salt, the fat, and the crunch. Wow, this is much more complicated than I might have expected. I mean, I know that food addiction is a thing, but I didn't know how complex and scientific and Mm -hmm. involved this is. It's not just like making cookies in my house. Right. And it all depends if you have a weakness for it, right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So some people can drink alcohol responsibly. And they're fine Mm -hmm. with it. They'll have a glass of wine, maybe two, and then they might not touch alcohol again for a week, two weeks, a month. And then other people, that's just not possible. They cannot leave a bottle of wine in the fridge. And that just depends. Some people can take it or leave it and some can't. Tell me a little bit about your story with food addiction. You know, I really feel that I've lived two lives. Uh, I've lived one life as a woman suffering from morbid obesity and everything that comes along with that, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the way that food addiction can really just decimate your life, every single area of your life. So if I take you back to when I was 29 years old, and God help me, that's 16 years ago, Uh, (laughs) um, everything, you know, I wish I could tell you that, you know, being over 100 pounds heavier was my biggest problem. It actually wasn't. The way that I was eating those ultra processed foods really made a brain fog come on. It really spurred on my depression. I was always always had this soundtrack in the back of my mind. When am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? How much am I going to eat? Did I eat too much? Now I got to go to the gym. Did I eat too little? Now I can eat a little more. How much do I weigh today? If I lost weight, great, I could eat. If I gained weight, wow, I'm such a bad person. I might as well go eat. It was just, you know, full on compulsion um, that touched every part of my life. It really was a factor in my marriage breaking down and ending. It was a factor in me running away from that marriage to take care of my mom, who was herself a food addict and suffered from bipolar disorder. It was me finally having a full mental breakdown and being off work for three months. It really, there wasn't an area that my weight and my eating didn't dramatically affect me. And the bigger that I got, the less that I thought I was worth. And I remember going on my very last diet, I had I had landed a job 
on Bay Street here in Toronto. So that's, you know, the Wall Street of New York. And I thought, you know what, I better get my weight under control. And I went to a very expensive nutritionalist and I was able to lose 50 pounds in six months. And I was feeling like a million bucks. Yeah, that's a very restrictive diet and a very short amount of time to lose that kind of weight. And what I did was you create an artificial famine. Every restrictive diet is a famine. Mm -hmm. And your brain's job is to keep you alive. There was no famine for me. I was living in Toronto. I did not have, suffer from food scarcity. So my brain went into survival mode. And everybody who's listening needs to understand that, that a restrictive diet will throw your brain into famine mode, which means it will drive up the signals to eat food, find food. It will narrow all your attention to food, 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 and not just any food because our brains are efficient, it will be sugary, highly dense calorie foods and trying to get your weight up again, because it thinks it's a matter of life or death. And so from that restrictive diet, you know, I maintained that goal weight for a very short time. And then I proceeded to gain not only those 50 pounds back, but an additional 50. And I gained 100 pounds in one year. We're not only back to square one, we've taken exactly We've taken a few steps steps back. back. And imagine the humiliation of showing up at work day after day and people noticing you getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger I got, the less I thought I was worth. I didn't think I had any place in this world that values thinness and beauty. And here I was exploding physically in front of everyone. So it was a really, really tough time in my life. And that's where I began my journey from the lowest point I could ever imagine. What was it that made you go, wait a minute, there's a food addiction problem, I need to try something else? So a couple of things. Um, I always related to other addicts, even though I've never used drugs, alcohol is not a problem. But when I heard other addicts speak about their addiction, I was drawn to them and I related to them and I really couldn't understand why. But uh, there were a couple of things that were turning points for me. The, The number one turning point for me was I decided that Whether I lost another pound or not, again, I didn't care. So I smashed the scale. I really said, I'm going to put this thing away. I, you know what? This number is no longer going to define me. And the number can't be the prize anymore. For my whole life, it was always trying to get that prize number on the scale. So I decided, how can I eat one meal at a time to be sane? Because these other foods are making me insane. So every time I started on the pizza or I started on the chocolate or the chips, I went completely insane and became this crazed woman, right? But you're talking about my favorite food. How dare you dish pizza and chocolate? <laughs> Interestingly, the top three most addictive foods in the world, number one, pizza. Number two, chocolate. Oh, number three, chips. Those are the top three most addictive. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's why I'd start explaining things for myself and yes. others here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first step. Yeah. Whether I lose another pound again, I just can't eat like this. And it was interesting mm-hmm. that when I let go of the scale and any expectation of losing weight and just look to eat to be sane, I released in that first year over 75 mm-hmm. pounds. And then in the next year, I released over another 25 pounds. So my weight... Wait, 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 wait. I just tried to get, get this in my head. You had gained 100 yes. pounds and then it finally clicked and you turned around and lost 75 pounds in, in a life. year and then... And then another 25. And then lost the other 25. Yeah, the following year. So it took me over two years. Was it just realizing the addiction and overcoming the addiction or what 
was there something else that happened? The other thing that happened uh, that people really struggle with is I had to accept myself and love myself exactly where I was, meaning that I was going to love and accept myself at over 260 pounds the same way that I would love and accept myself at this healthy body weight that I am today. And I actually don't know how much weight, I know it's well over 100 pounds, but I don't know the exact number because that number is never going to make me happy and it always makes me crazy. When something has that much power over you, it's better to just put it away. Same with sugar products, products that contain flour, they have so much power over me, it's better that I just don't go there and then I'm free. So you've also found out which foods are your addictions and have eliminated those? Correct. And it's so easy to know. It's sugar, <laughs> sugar, sugar, and sugar. So there's no need <laughs> to make a list of what are the foods. If it's got refined sugar okay. in it, uh, natural sugars are fine. Refined sugar, it is addictive. End of story. But pizza is cheese and sauce. Right. I mean, come well, on. There's, Why are you dissing pizza? There's tons of sugar <laughs> in the sauce. And what I was just about to oh, say okay. is anything made with flour products, flour turns into sugar in our mm-hmm. bodies, period, full stop. Yep. So it's at breads, pastas, pizza. It's just another form of sugar. We can't kid ourselves and think, oh, but it's whole wheat bread. No, 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 no. That whole wheat bread will turn into sugar in your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You took this experience into a business? So very interestingly, I had spent 15 years at that Bay Street job, and then I had a baby. And I decided I wasn't going back to that. And I got certified as a professional coach. And a very good friend of mine who knows me so well said, oh, are you going to work with food addicts? I said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. I can't. No, I can't help them. There's no way. Nope. And I was terrified because that, remember, that was the greatest curse. And I thought, what do I have to offer food addicts? Like this right, crazy thinking. And then right. after about two years of being on my own or three years, um, I set on the path of food addiction. And as soon as I did, all the doors opened. The people came. The opportunities come flooding towards me. And I was so afraid because I didn't have the perfect program. And I thought I had to be perfect, right? I had let go of perfection with the food, but I thought, no, no, I need to get all my ducks in a row before I can start this business. And it's not true. And we need to mention that this was 13 years ago when you lost us 100 pounds and you've still kept that's it off. right which uh, statistically uh, research tells us that only three percent of the population is able to lose 50 pounds and keep it off for five years only three percent of the population and you lost 100 and kept it up for 13 years so there's that yeah what? I know I know it's I didn't even realize what an incredible accomplishment that was until I started partnering with the medical community and the medical community were the ones that mirrored back, wow, so did you have bariatric surgery? I'm like, no. Did you use pharmacological therapy? Nope. They're like, well, we don't understand you. (laughs) You're just part of this little (laughs) unicorn group of the 3%. We rarely meet people like you. Tell us, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. And I said, I treated my eating like an addiction. And that was the missing piece. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I, what I did in terms of becoming an entrepreneur is, you know, in my 20s, being morbidly obese, I thought was my greatest curse in life. Like there was nothing you could have done worse to me. Honestly, I used to pray, please, I just want to be skinny. I thought if I could be skinny, Aww. then all my life's problems, I'd get the right husband, the right job, the right everything, which of course is an illusion we all tell ourselves. And I flipped what I thought was the worst curse of my life and I created it into the greatest blessing of my life. I live a certain way to maintain this weight loss, which includes meditation and gratitude and exercise. These things that I get to do, I don't say I have to do, I say I get to do, being of service to others draws immense joy to my life, immense joy, and keeps me physically fit. And to be honest Mm -hmm. with you, in my 20s, I would not have done any of these things Like, I'm not a virtuous, you know, I love to say I was so virtuous and I just (laughs) wanted to be of service and meditate every day and figure out how I can bring peace and joy to the world. No, I just wanted to be skinny. Um, But now in my 40s, I can see that this work attracts more joy to my life than I could ever imagine. And I don't want other people to suffer because I do see suffering. When you have tried, I work with people who have tried not for years, but decades to get a handle on their eating and their weight and have tried everything. And when you've tried everything and fail and fail and fail, what happens? You begin to believe you're a failure. And that's to me heartbreaking because the truth is if you're a food addict trying to diet, that is the exact wrong treatment option. That is the treatment option that will keep you stuck and will keep you sick. And yet you think you're the failure. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You failed at nothing. It is actually the treatment options you picked. And so now let me put you on the right road. And on this road, you will find success. You will find peace with food. You will find neutrality with food. That is my greatest hope for my clients, that they become neutral around food. I don't want you to use willpower. Willpower is an exhaustible resource. I don't want you to live in this, oh, I can't have this, and I wish I could, and oh, everybody else gets to have treats. No, no, no. I don't even want to live in that world. Who wants to live in that world? I live in a world where I see food as food, real food. And I see everything else as chemically engineered drugs that are highly addictive. Mm. And once you can have that shift, then you're not fighting, if that makes sense. What can we do to reprogram our brain? Yeah. I mean, how do you help people with this? Where do we go from here? I come to you and say, oh my goodness, I can't live without my pizza, chocolate and chips. I hear that all the time. Well, the first thing I, I, we need to get really clear what those chips, chocolates, and uh, pizza has cost you. What is the price tag that has come with that? Eighteen dollars and two cents. I get it every week, and I know it's eighteen dollars and two cents for the pizza wow. for my family. I have a problem. I'm like, I, I really pizza. You said that we get pizza every yes. Sunday evening for the family and it's $18 and two cents for what we get. <laughs> well, often what I hear the price tag is actually diabetes. And the price tag is I've uh, lost uh, mobility. And the price tag is I'm no longer interested in having sex with my partner. And the price tag is my marriage is breaking down. And the price tag is I don't go for promotions because I don't feel comfortable in my own skin and I don't try things. And I go, I take my children to the playground and I sit on the bench and they beg me to run around and I can't. 
And now my diabetes is affecting my joints and I may have to amputate a leg. So that's the price tag that I'm talking about. So once you understand and you link up, because for some people, like I said, some people can enjoy these foods responsibly and their only price tag is $18.93, right? For them, no, oh, two cents. <laughs> I don't want to add any more to it, <laughs> right? So for some people, that's, that's the price tag, but then for others, it's much, much, much bigger. And then once we link up that price tag, we build a brick wall. I, I say build a brick wall, not a line in the sand, because then the water comes and that line is gone, but a brick wall between you and flour and sugar, between you and your trigger foods, between these foods that have cost you not years, but decades of your life that you're never going to get back. So once you've built that brick wall, you know, I don't believe in diets. I don't believe in counting calories or protein or grams or like all of that makes me crazy. So what I say is you make up a plate of food. If it doesn't have sugar and it doesn't have flour, just eat whatever you want. Just eat whole foods and you will recover and take it one meal at a time. This is probably the most important piece of guidance I can offer anybody listening because you're going to have a little addictive voice in your brain that goes, really? Really? You're never going to eat cake for the rest of your life? Come on. Come on. Your <laughs> birthday's sad. around the corner and you're never going to eat that again. And I and I have that voice still with me. And the only way I can answer back to that voice is just for lunch. And actually, I've had lunch. So it's just for dinner. Just for dinner, I'm not going to have sugar and carbs. And then I'll figure out breakfast when it's breakfast. And I don't make any promises about tomorrow. And that alone, those two things alone can set someone on a different path. Just baby steps. It doesn't have to be a big, huge, I'm never going to have it again. I yeah. like that. Just thinking a little bit at a time. Yeah. And also the way that you treat yourself, because nobody, listen, we're all human, which means none of us are perfect. I can't I act perfectly. I certainly can't speak perfectly and I can't eat perfectly. <laughs> and so w- the way you treat yourself when you have a mishap, when you mess up, will really determine whether you get to your goal or not. So when you mess up, do you take out the shame stick? And, and, you know, I used to believe if I beat myself up long enough, hard enough, I'll never do it again. And the exact opposite was true. And we all flourish in an environment where we're gentle, kind, and loving to ourselves. So even when I completely mess up, you got to be get in front of the mirror, look yourself in the eye, say, I love you and I got this. I got this. I got this. Because if perfection is the standard, failure will always happen. My grandfather would ask me if I'd done something perfectly or did you get it perfect? And I'd say almost. He's like, no, there's no almost perfect. (laughs) It either is perfect or it's not perfect. It's like, okay, no pressure. You can't be almost perfect. So you say the word perfect. I'm like, ah, we definitely can't get there. And we can't even get almost perfect. It's not a thing. So we need to change our thinking. And exactly. and that's a lot of what you're doing with your clients as well as just resetting that mindset yeah. and, and saying, okay, th- this is an addiction. It's not just bad habits. Because right. some people are like, oh, woe is me. I, it's my fault. Like you've said, no, it's not because of this food engineering that's, that's right. happening. Oh, goodness. That's just crazy. As an entrepreneur, what kind of advice would you give to other thoughtful entrepreneurs out there who might be listening? just start. Action will get you on the right path. Just putting your foot on the path and walking down that that path that seems really scary and unattainable 
will open up everything to you. What I did instead was I thought, let me go down a path that I'm comfortable in, (laughs) that I'm certain I can be successful at. That's not where great things happen. Great things happen in that uncertainty, in that courage, in that ability to set foot on a path where you can't even see where you're going yet. And then watching how the universe responds. And, And the universe gave me a resounding yes. This is the right path. If people are interested in what you're doing, how can they find out more about you, more about food addiction? What resources do you have to recommend? So head on over to my website, sandraalia.com. So that's Sandra, E-L-I-A.com. And there you will find uh, my eight-week program. So I run an eight-week program, which we can either do in person or over Zoom. So Zoom is great. It's just like Skype. You do it from the comfort of your home. You get to interact with the other participants and you don't have to sit in traffic, which is great. In the fall, I'm going to be launching Canada's first five-day intensive. So this is five days where I take a group of 14 people. We go out into the woods, um, into a beautiful setting, and we live together and we um, live the life of recovery. So there you will learn how to cook. You'll learn how to meditate. You'll work through all of your own blocks because understand that once you put the food down, that's just the beginning. I'm sorry to tell her, but it's just the beginning. Because then you got to figure out what am I going to do when intense emotions bubble up to the surface and I'm not going to use food? What am I going to do? What am I going to do with relationships? And how do I have healthy boundaries? I've yet to work with a food addict who doesn't suffer from codependency. And so how do I have healthy boundaries in my family and friendships? Um, And then, you know, our biggest obstacle is our mind and our thinking. So if our biggest obstacle is some sick thinking around eating I can't outthink my thinking so that's where we go to spirituality so it's there's a lot of uh, help and I'm here I'm here to, to do that I'm always interested in hearing where you are in your own journey and how I can be of service well, thank you so much for sharing all that, Sandra. I've learned a lot. Does that mean you're not going to get your $18 pizza on Friday? It's Sunday and it's $18.02. <laughs> so funny. Well, maybe my voice will be lingering somewhere in your mind. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so com is where people can find you. Thank you for sharing with all of our thoughtful entrepreneurs. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for listening to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. If you'd like to be featured on this show, check us out at upmyinfluence.com and attend my next live webinar where I'll reveal the three secrets to increasing your visibility for more profits. If you are a thoughtful entrepreneur that would like to become a media celebrity and be on our show, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash podcast. Have a great day.